The Cal Halbert Podcast. Hello, friends. Thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode of the Cal Halbert Podcast. My guest this week is Liv Laurent. She's a dancer, a choreographer, and the artistic director of Ballet Laurent up here in the northeast of England. It was an incredible chat, and I've wanted to speak to Liv for so, so long uh, on this podcast, and I really, really hope you enjoy this episode. So, here we go. The Cal Halbert Podcast. Well, I'm very pleased to say that on the show today, on the Cal Halbert Podcast, I've got the one, the only, a very good friend of mine, Liv Laurent. Hi, Liv. How are you? Hi, Cal. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Very, very good. How have things been with you? I mean, I, I imagine everything stopped for you just as much as it did through the pandemic. Yeah, we, we um, we're, well, yesterday I was thrilled to have the whole Ballet Laurent company back in rehearsal um, as we progress with our Lost Happy Endings tour, which um, is at the Theatre Royal next week. So I'm really, really happy to have a room full of dancers again. I can't tell you how good that is. There must be a huge energy back in the room. To I mean, it, I've seen some of your shows before and they're so powerful. And I think it's one of the things that people kind of have a negative connotation of, of ballet, don't they? They think it's just Swan Lake, people walking about on their tiptoes, and that's all they think, you know? But it's, and I'll hold my hands up to it, that was exactly my perception of ballet to begin with until I came and saw your shows, and it was just incredible. So there must be a huge energy in the room to be in the rehearsals again. Yeah, I think it's that thing that for all of us involved in the performing arts, you know, of, of all the opportunities to stop, and rethink and change the last two years has, has definitely given us that opportunity to refocus and uh, for some of us that has been um it's been almost like forced into us you know I've lost uh I've lost the production manager and I've lost the stage manager over the last two years you know where people have just just the freelance workforce in our industry has been hammered and that's been um incredibly tough and people have been you know, diversifying what they do. Um, I have a wonderful dancer, Gwen Berwick, who's been uh, keeping herself going by building up an amazing Pilates business. So wow. she's, you know, she lives in London and she's doing that online and she's doing that in studios. And then she's up with me dancing and she is like many people having to hustle to make lots of possibilities for how they can survive, keep themselves empowered, physical, interested and and offering you know so much towards their purpose and I think that's um that's been testing for all of us but there's something about bringing back dancers into a space when mostly they have been in rooms you know to have a big huge gymnasium to to move across which is great talking of the uh, ballet of course you know tutus and point shoes are easily found in the ballet world but there's so much more to it, um, uh, too many different kind of offerings. So in, in this one, in The Lost Happy Endings, Gavin Coward, uh, that's I've been working with for 20 years, he spends a considerable amount of the piece on all fours in a gorilla costume. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely not a ballerina dream, but it's um, it's incredibly uh, entertaining. And, and for another part of the, the piece, he is dressed in a pink dress and a wig and he's Sleeping Beauty for a couple of minutes. So it's uh, <laughs> Lost Happy Endings is full of imagery of many, many different fairy tales that lose their happy endings. 
but it's set in a forest. So that's why we really enjoy having dancers who become animals on stage. So we have a wolf, we have an insect-like creature, we have an elephant, uh, we have a bat. Um, so it, it's really unusual, entertaining and escapist, which is really what I want to be, where I want to be right now. I want to be in escapist land and that's what we're trying to offer other humans, you know, a chance just to disappear into a into another magical world. Do you find it difficult finding and creating a cast? Do you have staple dancers that you like to use? And how do you bring in dancers from the outside of your little bubble, so to speak, of mm -hmm. dancers that you normally use? How do you integrate them into, into pieces that you, you put together? There's um, a, a couple of ways. And one is that when you forge a really good dynamic and a really important relationship creatively with someone, you kind of cling on to that because it's very precious and it feeds your creativity. And when somebody can deliver what you need to tell the story you want to tell, that's um, wonderful for me artistically, but it's also wonderful for the audience. And it's very, um, it's great to have all those shortcuts, I guess, and to build on an understanding of each other's uh, skills and capacity. So I'm really happy with that. And I have, um, I have some dancers in the room who've been with me over 20 years in this piece, but then there's other dancers who have been with us for uh, months. You know, there's a, um, there's a, a dancer, well, he's not a dancer actually, he's, he's an actor. And he's, um, we met him through training. Um, we did a week of movement, which we do every year on the Project A theatre course right. at Royal. Um, and he stood out because he was actually very good um, uh, uh, as an actor, but also he's very incredibly physical. He's very strong. And Tom is also a gymnast. So suddenly that's a whole new offering with physical language. You know, you don't learn how to tumble at ballet school. You don't, uh, you don't learn how to do that at contemporary dance school. So I've, I've always loved that. Always loved having, you know, and I've had um, in the past, I've had uh, people from a hip hop background or break dancing background in the company. So I think it's incredibly eclectic, the cast. Not only um, are they very different ages, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s even, it's very unusual in a dance company, but their backgrounds are different, where they're from, you know, um, and what kind of training that they had. And you wouldn't recognize, you wouldn't see the piece and go, oh, spot the person who didn't have formal dance training. <laughs> you, you know, with, with Tom, you'd see somebody who absolutely is compelling as all in all the parts he plays, you know, and he he's a, he's a tree one moment, then he's Goldilocks, he's Alice in Wonderland. Um, he does uh, incredible physical tumbles and jumps and and um, children love that, you know, and I love that, it's great. So there's no snobbishness in the company, you know, there's none, none of that because especially I suppose people will be asked to be gorilla or, or a tree or um you mean it's a joke isn't it what were you I was a tree <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know we have quite a few trees in this piece and they're really great and they're and they look beautiful and they're sometimes they're wonderful and sometimes they're scary and they make this forest and this wood and 
And um, there's no there's no shame in being a tree. There's no shame in not having done a ballet lesson. There's no shame in being tall or short or older or younger. Uh, I find that palette of difference really interesting for me artistically. And of course, we do have placements as well. So there's a girl who um, who's doing her degree and she's in her uh, final year. So she's come along um, to do um, a placement with us and she's really in the right place at the right time because I thought mm, I might you know what I could do with another tree so, <laughs> 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 so brilliantly you know there she is uh, in her early 20s and she's going to be uh, with us on the digital stage next week um, being a tree and uh, having that on her CV and working with this company and doing daily class and learning how we work and that can sometimes start a relationship that then lasts for a long time so yeah. benedicta valentina who is doing the main role in this piece she's um she's called job in the work and and we met in exactly that same way a couple of the dancers from ballet laurent had gone and done a, a workshop yeah. in um in her school in heaton manor and i think she was fascinated by this um and when she was at college then she she did a placement with us in her so in her spring term and then later she auditioned to be an apprentice and here we are all these years later and she's uh, the main role in the show so this is how you know it's through chance relationships it's through auditioning to be apprentices yeah. it's um it's much more like, like that, how we grow a company rather than, uh, I don't fancy going into a big room with 200 dancers with numbers on their chests and yeah. seeing who's got the biggest high kick. That's not what I'm in it for. It doesn't seem very personable that way, does it? And I, I suppose if, as you say, whoever's got the biggest high kick could be an arsehole to work with. And, yeah. and, and you just go, I, I can't work with this person. Did I, they, they're not going to fit into this into this piece that's going to be incredible and you will st stick out like a sore thumb because everyone will know that you've been trained because you'll want to get that bloody kick in exactly. <laughs> exactly yeah and that's the thing and I, I frequently as you know work with children as well in in shows and um I think how children move and children perform can be absolutely magical it can be yeah. so incredibly compelling free and unselfconscious and direct and physical that I'm often saying to the professional dancers, oh, look at Leo, you know, do it like that. Look at Felicia, can you, can you do that kind of approach? So they need to not have a massive ego if they're going to be happy in the company because you know, the source of beauty, creativity or um, inspiration can come from anywhere. And if people are, 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 have a big ego, they're gonna be miserable. Yeah, absolutely. I found it very interesting there when you said about doing workshops within within schools and, and Heaton Manor, you mentioned there, because I don't think dance was ever a, a career option to me. I don't think that was ever. I don't know. I, I don't feel I'm a, a great dancer. I think I'm good at it, but I'm <laughs> lots of people would say otherwise, I think. But it was never an option in school because in and I th I feel that drama has that as well for for, for my side. Um, drama isn't just standing about reciting old plays. It is all about uh, emotions. It's about uh, even something as, as boring as an interview technique is all drama. Do you know what I mean? And I, I feel yeah. that that sort of stuff needs to be pushed. Whereas dance for me in school was simply the 
the lesson that kind of floated in between performing arts and PE and they didn't really do anything with it and they didn't allow people to explore that that world Mm, yeah and I think there's a I mean one thing that uh, uh, is very off-putting for some people about dance is the idea that you have to perhaps reach an aspiration of a predetermined idea of perfection you know this is what it looks like you've got to copy the teacher and then everybody has to move the same time in the same way as an ensemble and and it's quite sort of mathematical now there is lots of dance that's like that Um, but there is also a lot of other dance which um contemporary dance dance theater um Uh, embraces where it's a lot more about the individual the idiosyncratic the unique and I think that's very firmly where uh, Bally Laurent is placed Um, and what we enjoy about working in schools and we've been working in schools in primary schools for about nearly 30 years actually Um, and it is that sometimes in fact frequently you go to a school and you see a kid who has a lot of energy and who's very physical and who totally gets it and is just loving the opportunity to be creative. So we give stimulating ideas or images and they lap it up and they're vivid and they're extraordinary. And we just go, wow, a natural mover. You know, maybe they've never had a single dance lesson in their lives, but they're just born with it. They've just got that something. And we keep doing that, keep star spotting children in schools and uh, very frequently put them in our shows or and now we've just started a youth academy but what's interesting is it's often can often be not always but it can often be the kid that maybe isn't so good at PE maybe isn't competitive can't catch a ball isn't interested in winning um, and it might be the kid who is a constant fidget who, who maybe um, finds maths and English more uh, complicated or gets distracted easily. Uh, But this is the kid who creatively, using their body and imagery, shines. And that is is really nothing less than life-changing because when that kid finds it might be the thing they excel at. And then suddenly the teachers and uh, the parents and the school suddenly see oh that kid that maybe is in trouble a bit or um is um the, the problem the, child in the, sometimes class, isn't it that's that's, that's, that's what yeah. teachers like to label these these children yeah as. yeah and they're not maybe they're not conforming in the certain education system we've got right now but actually outside of that they are extraordinary and that that is quite a gift to be able to to offer because along the way in school I think if people are really good at football it can be spotted if they're really good at science but sometimes there's not an opportunity to be spotted as being really good at being a performer and if it's not culturally in your family to maybe go to shows or do Saturday morning dance or drama classes and you don't have that near you or it's not in your consciousness then you never know you never get to stumble on it so you know I've been around doing this for decades and what I see is that talent is everywhere but opportunity is not so what what we really enjoy doing is offering the chances for some children to discover and explore a talent that they may choose to use in their life and my dream is that one day one of the children who perform with us and work with us will grow up to be the adult that then is employed by us wow that's, that's what amazing. I hope. That's amazing. 
And, you know, it, it's very interesting because me and my partner, Ryan, we came down to see one of your shows. And we mentioned earlier in the interview about that, um, the vast age range that, that you you have in, in your company and in your productions. And there wasn't a single moment where I sat there and I thought, well, well, Lib's ticking a box to have her in. She's got an, an over 50 in. and a, uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? Because where, whereas in sometimes when you see uh, different shows in general, uh, whether that be all the way down from a, a pantomime up to a, a main production, um, you can see sometimes where a box is just being ticked. And I never got that feeling from your shows. No, I think in the... In the uh, mid '90s, when I started, I started the company in 1993. Nobody was doing that. There were no boxes to tick. Nobody cared. Um, it was purely about my taste. I mean, I literally don't even want everyone to have the same hair color. You know, <laughs> I, I really like <laughs> difference, and I and I really enjoy that. It's just purely an aesthetic. Um, thing and because I like the storytelling opportunities and and I really love uniqueness you know and the other thing Cal is that they're not meant to look like me you know some choreographers they make things from their own body from their own image their their own way of moving and I'm I make things from what I see and what I feel but I never ever make things from the mirror and that's, I think, it informs a slightly different take on it. Never perform in my work. It's never about... Why is that? Why do you never perform in your work? Not my type. So all this range, all this, all this love of different people is, is so clear, so immediate. But any time I looked at myself in my dance training in the mirror, I was like, oh, not that, not that. <laughs> it's really not <laughs> it. Oh, no. <laughs> so I felt, felt kind of cursed in a way, but actually it's, it's, very, um, it's very refreshing to not have to combat an urge. I don't have an urge to perform and then have to fight it off, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's very clear. And uh, I, I really, really enjoy giving that opportunity to other people. And, and that's, that's really exciting, whatever age they are, whatever background, you know, it's, it's, that, is, uh, that is the purpose for me. And seeing, seeing something and knowing that actually put that in the right costume, in the right framework, with the right music and the right light, I can share that with an audience and go, that's beauty right there, you know, that's great. Amazing, amazing. Let's go right back to the beginning then, Liv. Was dance always heavily involved in your life? Did you always want to be a dancer? Uh, or was it choreography that you wanted? Or was it just, I just wanted to be in the world of dance and performing? What was it? I think dancing was, was um, uh, I, I mean, I, I, had, I had a physical hypermobility as a child, which meant that I was uh, falling a lot. You know, my limbs would be too, too weak and uh, too, too, too hyperextended could easily go over the splits, um, you know, and I, I, and I did sort of um, not have enough strength. So I danced anyway, like kids who like dancing, just move about to any kind of music. And then to help strengthen me, I was sent to ballet. I liked it. Didn't actually really know how embarrassing, but I really didn't even understand what a choreographer was till I was probably 13 or something yeah I honestly for a long time just thought the dancers magically in perfect synchronicity <laughs> spontaneously <laughs> improvised on the stage 
I'm really embarrassed I didn't know that, but <laughs> nobody told me. And then as soon as I figured out, oh, oh, so somebody designs all that. I was like, oh yeah, that's it. That's it. That's what I want to do. And uh, promptly started it. I mean, it is, it is my, I have given my whole life to it, you know, and that is quite strange when I'm turning 50 this year and going, Oh, there's a lot of things I didn't do. I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going, is this is this what I'm gonna keep going now? Knowing I've got less time ahead than behind me. You know, I I've been working 30 years as a choreographer. I won't be working another 30. And just going, oh, you know, I never traveled the world. I never, I was never young and doing um crazy funny gorgeous adventurous things i was i was in job club and uh um in london and trying to make ballet the wrong happen i was doing daft and stupid things like writing to richard branson asking for sponsorship you know can you imagine it didn't work but <laughs> <laughs> i did i just tried i just tried really hard with a almost like a vocation and uh, a desire to make it happen and um I, it was never, ever a point where somebody went, you know what we really need? We really need this uh, half Belgian female choreographer. Let's, 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 let's make that ballet roll thing happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's just, but what, what we know, what was key was moving to the, the Northeast um, in 19, November 1995, which is a long time ago, and the Northeast looked very different then. You will remember that. And uh, from, from London, it was a bit of a culture shock, um, but I loved the people and the light and the buildings. And what was amazing here is that you'd often get a yes. If you said to the city council, can I make a show and perform it in the Tyne Tower? Yeah. You know, say uh, in in Calliope on the quayside. Can I rehearse in your big hall there? Yes. You know, and this was this was an extraordinary thing to be somebody to go. Yes, why not? And yeah. that sort of can do. And um, open-minded spirit in the northeast has just been an absolute savior because. Um, it's men I could explore doing lots of different things. I could make work outside, I could make work inside, small theatres, big theatres, family shows, very grown up shows, all kinds of different things. And there was nobody around to go, no, no, you need to do this way. You must be yeah. this kind of choreographer. So in a way, the neglect was quite good, you know, no, um, because I could just get on with it and just keep trying stuff and nobody was overproducing. There's no Svengali kind of doing anything. I've had huge amounts of support, don't get me wrong, um, but it's it's been, I think, it, you know, sort of driven by love and passion of myself and the people working with me yeah. rather than um, anybody making it all happen for us. If you like, we're not being produced. There was no no kind of Simon Cowell equivalent in yeah. dance or anything. You know what I mean? That's what I'm trying to say. We 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 um we want. I don't know. I I can see Ben in a pair of high waisted trousers. I, I can see that coming. <laughs> oh God, I'm so I'm so lucky to have his eyes on the work. I tell you that there's something not taught in dance often is how to tell stories, mm. because um you know it's all about the beauty. It's all about the beauty, and 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 then suddenly 
when when I would be making stuff in a very hodgepodge way and he'd step in and go, but it has consequence and this character wouldn't have met this one. And I go, but does it matter? It's beautiful. And he'd go, no, for the audience to really get it, he needs to tell a story properly. And he sort of taught me that. And that's been really good because I think the audiences appreciate that what we are telling as a story makes sense and is um, impactful. So you get more emotional clout through that and you get and you get more of a satisfaction, I think, as an audience. So I think Ben's influence has made the work more and more um, audience focused and accessible to an audience, which is why we get to play lovely big theatres because people come and people want to uh, experience that and know that uh, they're going to have a great time. What I do love about your pieces, Liv, is, is the left field turn that you don't expect. That's mm. what I love about it. And you don't take the standard story and just deliver that story. There's always a mix up of some sort. So, for example, uh, with Rumpelstiltskin, um, it, it isn't the, the traditional way in which Rumpelstiltskin would have been said. In fact, um, they fell in love with Rumpelstiltskin in the end. So mm. what is it about that kind of mix up and that left field that... that endears yourself not endears yourself that makes you want to go that way rather than telling the traditional story uh, I'm really fortunate to work with some really smart people so Carol Ann Duffy that did that retelling of Rumpelstiltskin for us you know she's incredibly clever artistic and pragmatic so you know even mm -hmm. when we were thinking mm, okay so in the traditional story um it's a, a miller's daughter that he falls in love with but we're like mm, not a lot of movement in there that you know we couldn't really see it and then she goes well why, why can't she be a shepherd's daughter oh fantastic I can half you know a, a flock of sheep on stage yeah. dancers dressed up as sheep how wonderful so we did that and it's just um and and, and in terms of the story and Rumpelstiltskin being in the end an incredibly lovable and misunderstood rejected character who in the end gets the girl and is shown to be wonderful because I think all all of the stories I'm interested in telling is about finding an acceptance for the outsider um, the misunderstood uh, the different one mm -hmm. uh, the rejected I think that's a constant narrative for me that um, because I see the beauty in so many individuals that maybe are not sold as our traditional idea of beauty for whatever reason and I've never understood that so I don't want to or need to retell the idea that the young blonde pretty princess wins the prince and because that is not the only story being told here I'm interested in a prince getting a prince I'm interested in um the older woman getting the prince. I'm interested in, in people who never imagined being the prince, but they are, you know, that's that's kind of much more what our real lives are, you know. And that this idea of promoting, um, <laughs> promoting, promoting this, 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 this sort of traditional storybook ideals or the has nothing for me. I, and, and plenty of other people are doing that. So I don't need to, I don't need to do that. No, but it's all about, it's all about celebrating the individual, the outsider and showing the beauty within. And that has never left me. I don't think it ever will. 
You mentioned before that you didn't know who who or what a choreographer was until you were about 13 years old. So at what point did it click where you thought, oh, I could do this. This could be my job. I think I already was because I was already making pieces on myself, but um, but being dissatisfied because my body couldn't do what was in my mind and I couldn't see it. Uh, so basically I, I did it straight away. I think as soon as I was at school, as soon as somebody let me and, and I suppose aspiring performers and training dancers are quite happy to have solos made on them you know so so I just did it immediately and uh, enjoyed practicing that and actually you know I all I need is a body and space it doesn't even need to be a trained dancer you know when I started out in London after my training which was a where did you degree, train at Laban did a degree in dance there which was, you know, that was great. It was great. But afterwards, you sort of had a cliff edge back in those days. There was no kind of fourth year or graduate companies, really. Nothing for nothing for a young female choreographer, that's for sure. And I had nothing, nothing at all. And in the end, it was the local job club where I was unemployed that um, <coughs> said, if you, here's this little hall in a Greenwich, um, in, a, in a Greenwich community centre. If you, if you work there, and you work with other people who are long time unemployed, we'll give you £10 extra a week on your dole and um, they'll get £10 extra a week on their dole too. So this is what we did and pretended it was a company, but it, it didn't feel like pretending, it felt real. And I would have people from all kinds of disciplines. So some people who may be ex-dancers, but there's also somebody who'd been a semi-professional footballer. There was somebody who was a singer, drummer, artist, actor, people who'd never danced before. It didn't matter. They had bodies, they could move. We wanted to make things. And I put on works at um, the Lillian Bayliss Studio Theatre in London and the Place Theatre and gradually, gradually, you know, made things happen. But this was, this was a, a, a weird, wonderful time where there was you know, no checks were written. There was no budget for anything. It was, it, it, it was, um, and looking back, it's kind of childish really, but it, I took it completely seriously and so did everybody else. And, and I had wonderful experiences. There was a dancer there who I had called Kit, who, who was extraordinary. She was actually from a, from a ballet company. She was from a, a, um, a company in Wales that had had a, a minibus crash and a lot of the dancers had been injured. And as part of her rehabilitation, she came and joined me in London and, and uh, you know, got back into becoming a performer again. Um, so it was an enormous privilege to work with her and everybody else. And she wasn't snobbish either. She didn't mind being lifted up by somebody who'd never been dance trained and had the spirit to make things happen. And that's what you need in a room, isn't it? Just people yeah. who aren't afraid, who aren't judgmental. Is that a big problem where people, some people won't dance with other people who haven't been dance trained? Well, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? I was told by somebody who was at the Laban Centre, who was horrified by what I was doing, to be honest. And he would say, <laughs> you know, is that what are you doing? Mixing elite dancers with people off the street. Yeah. And I was like, how, I, I, I thought shocking thing to say, because it was, you know, it was, it was, it was so uh, elitist, yeah. but it was, that was the thinking at that time, you know, what a dancer looked like, the body type, the age, what training they'd had, everything else was very specific. And um, 
to be honest, Cal, nobody gave me that. Nobody gave me a beautiful, clean dance studio and, and a bunch of trained professional dancers. So if I'd waited for that, nothing would have ever happened. Yeah. And, and at that time, this is, remember, this is pre-internet. This is um, <laughs> pre, uh, pre-anything. This was pre-mobile phone. This is, this is the time when, you know, music was on, on um, CD and uh, it was, it was something, it was another world. It was another world. I love the fact that now young people, if I was just starting out now, I would love the fact that I could make films on my phone and I could put that out to the world through many different portals and, and that you don't have the same gatekeepers as when I'm starting out where, you know, people either you were given opportunity you know, which as a choreographer, you need a minimum space and bodies, and then you need a platform like a theater to show your work. Now, no, you can do it lots of different places and you can be in charge of your own destiny with much greater opportunity. Back then, there wasn't the opportunity, but I did it anyway, even though people looked down on, on me. And I'm sure, they, I'm sure there's plenty of um, very rude things said, <laughs> probably, <laughs> amongst the the dance world but you know it's persistence isn't it it's about sticking there and just not being ashamed and I wasn't ashamed of what what I was doing I I thought it was beautiful and what's interesting is that now now it's actually started to be understood that it is rather beautiful to to have difference and diversity in in your work um and it, and that's as you know, I'm never going to be a tick box person, and I and I would despise to be. I'd give up before that happened. But it's interesting, isn't it? Now people are being asked to not just have young, white, thin ballerinas on stage because that's not representative of who we are in the audience. Yeah. So it's like, and finally, thirty years later, it started to become a little bit fashionable. What, <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> Interesting you mentioned the platforms that you need. As you say, the likes of TikTok have just exploded mm. uh, singular dancers or uh, even before that was the Instagram phase yeah. and Facebook and all the social media platforms uh, collectively. But what are your thoughts on TV shows like Strictly Come Dancing or Dancing with the Stars or Dancing with Ice? And I understand that it is very much mainstream dance and they are set pieces and that's it. But do you think that's helped or hindered the world of dance and the idea of going to see perhaps ballet or going to see any other form of dance? I think it's lovely that we have informed choice, you know, I mean, it, somebody on Strictly Come Dancing, when they do their 90 second rumba, you know, they learn to do that 90 second rumba. They can't rumba whenever they want, where, however, you know, that it is a different thing, but it's, it's wonderful and entertaining to see some people dance and move. And, and no, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm for, I'm all for dance everywhere and for people to enjoy it in whichever way that they possibly can access it. And there's a lot out there and I mean I think it's great if people can watch films or watch it on tv go to the theater see it in festivals um yeah I I, I think that there's I don't have any sort of snobbery about it at all interesting I made a work this is pre-Strictly Come Dancing in 2002 Ballet Laurent made a work called The Ball 
and we learned some dances. We, we, were, we were taught by uh, a wonderful woman called Gail, who was a ballroom dance teacher. I think she still is. And she taught us the tango and the waltz and the Viennese and, and the cha-cha. And we'd never learned those dance before. We'd never learned couple dancing art before. But what I wanted to do with it was not the competitive angle. I loved the idea of the couple dancing again. So, and seeing, because um, I'd been in community centers and seeing tea dances, you know, with older people dancing together, which is charming, but I hadn't seen people who we were then in our 20s and 30s. And I, I hadn't seen that. And I wanted to create a culture where that was possible. That we could dance in pairs again together, but it didn't have to be, you didn't have to be a perfect ballroom dancer to do it. And I quite love the aesthetic. I love it. You know, when at a wedding, you suddenly see um, somebody who maybe has had a couple too many gin and tonics, but is actually <laughs> having the dance of their life. You know, they are really enjoying it alone or with someone else, but they're just going for it. And there's a moment of lack of, lack of inhibition. And I adore that. So I wanted to celebrate. Although I will, I will say, Liv, that if, if at a wedding someone's had too many gin and tonics and dirty dancing comes on, that's where I will draw the line that they can't <laughs> leave me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Snobbery will come in then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, yeah, you're right. When it gets to dancing on tables that fall down, it's like, oops, health and safety. <laughs> oh, but I, I love, and I, I love the fact when we did the ball, there were some people who, uh, that's after the show, which was in the round, round cabaret style tables and chairs, our, our dancers, 10 of them would then offer themselves as dance partners. The music played on, whoever wanted to dance, because there are lots of people who may be in a relationship where one person really wants to dance and one person doesn't, and you just don't get that chance to, to have a dance and be in someone's arms and whirled around. And we, that show toured for years because it was needed. You know, people love the chance to feel like a dancer in a ballroom. And um, that's, that's very much the opposite of what Strictly does. It wasn't about teaching steps. It was about giving a, an improvised experience and, um, and, and creating a community and celebrating being alive. It's all about humanity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Liv, you've had your multi-award winning. You've got Jeward Choreography Award in 2001. You've got the Arts Foundation Choreography Award in 2005. Five Journal Culture Awards. Artist of the Year 2008. Performance of the Year 2012. The list goes on and on and on. Um, but you're also an MBE as well. I, I apologise. I didn't give you your full title at the start of the show. It is, in fact, Liv Laurent MBE. Um, and you received that for uh, services to dance in the, in, in the New, Year, uh, New Year's honours list. Uh, tell me a bit about that experience. Uh, I mean, it was very strange getting that letter through the post and being told not to tell anybody. And uh, <laughs> you know, what, what does this mean? And um, um, it's... It's, uh, I'm not, you know, I, I spent a bit of time thinking about it at the time and I still now not entirely sure what I feel about all that system, you know, sometimes. Um, but I felt that people respond sometimes to these awards. People think, well, that gives it some credibility. And I have, I have difficulty in this world of dance proving credibility you know especially because I'm female it's very few female choreographers that are taken seriously unfortunately and and being in the northeast you know suddenly why do you think that is why do you think that is that female choreographers aren't taken seriously 
I, they're not often championed historically. I'm sure that there are more coming out now, but it was often seen as a retired male dancer's job to be a choreographer. And if you, and also if you excelled as a dancer, certainly when I started out, there's a feeling that if you were an extraordinary dancer, you were likely to be an extraordinary choreographer. Now that's definitely not the case. Um, they are different jobs, but I think that it's only well, there's been terrible gender bias across so many things hasn't there yeah. you know a visual arts comedy drama writing you know and it's it's hard to be taken seriously as a female artist i remember mm. caroline duffy saying the same thing to me i mean she's obviously you know hugely successful but she says you know you have to work five times as hard and be twice as good to be yeah. to be out there so that's it's funny you mentioned that we mentioned before uh, Ben Ben your partner and he he's in the comedy world as well and I imagine it makes him feel sick as well the amount of times as male comics white male comics stood there and a female comic who is just as justified as us to be on the stage and someone comes up and says I don't normally like women but uh, <laughs> you were very funny do you know what I mean you go what there was absolutely no need for that comment whatsoever why couldn't you just say you were great thank you do you know, what I mean? it's it's. I never get told I like male comedians. You were great. I never yeah. ever get that. Do you know? What I mean? yeah. yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's just crazy, and I I think more and more um, as we've been making work, it's been really important. If you like, on the on the poster, the mm. biggest thing is the title. You know, for us, it's not my name. It's not the company's name, because. Yeah in the end it's like you know people will come and see Rapunzel or Lost Happy Endings or whatever we're making and then they'll see you know like with this one Joanna Lumley's reading it you know these, these important things and I don't need to become a household name I want to just make the work but yeah having things like an MBE just suddenly occasionally helps people go oh they must be good then um, because if it's you know and unfortunately being called Ballet Laurent which was a decision I made when I was 20 it's not sometimes really representing the company well. <laughs> yeah, because then you have to explain it's not classical ballet, and Laurent is a Belgian name, and um, it does. Yeah, it, it, it's not the best thing sometimes. But having said that, quite a lot of people now have heard of it and will go, "Oh, I know what ballet Laurent show is." Uh, but no, I will still meet people, you know, even in dance from the northeast, and they will say, "I've never heard of you," and I'll say, "Oh, wow." Yeah, been been here a long time, but there is that is how it is. And I suppose I'm interested in making the work. I'm not hanging around the circle bar at Sadler's Well smoothing. I'm just not. And because I'm a mum as well, you know, that's that's um I've never been to the whole networking bit, and we all know how important that is. So um I, yeah, that so yeah, talking about those awards and stuff, that that those things are helpful to to give um, an access of something sounding like quality, but um, I'm not, uh, it's not on the wall, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's in a box somewhere, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just three letters after my name, that's all. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I really rarely use that. And it's, 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 it wasn't my ambition in life to have an MB, but it's, it is, it is, uh, it was, it was a fun day. It was a fun day out and, uh, <laughs> and an interesting experience, yeah. <laughs> How do you choose pieces of music to choreograph to? 
Um, I know you mentioned just before then that, that you're a mum and you, your son is an impeccably talented uh, pianist <laughs> and musician across the board. And I've, I've heard some of his work and he's absolutely brilliant. And I also believe that he is uh, working on a piece for this very podcast. So uh, listeners, don't worry. He's uh, it, There will be a piece coming for, for this podcast. Uh, your son is an impeccably talented boy and um, I'm very envious of him. Uh, but <laughs> how do you find... Uh, pieces of music that you feel I want to choreograph a piece to this? Um, when I was younger I'd buy you know pre-internet pre pre um, uh, pre uh, um, Spotify I would buy uh, a lot of CDs and and that is how I find my music and I loved music and bought plenty when we started making middle scale work when we were making our Sadler's Wells helped support us to make Rapunzel in 2012. And they were very encouraging to me to say, work with the very, very, very best people you dream of. And I thought that you're having a laugh. How, what are you talking about? How's that? How will they ever want to work with me? But uh, they helped me approach those people. And I think the clout of their name helped people at least want to listen to what I had to say. So I did end up in a meeting with Carol Ann Duffy. And in terms of music, I did get to meet Murray Gold. Now I love Murray Gold because Albie and I watched Doctor Who every day and loved the music. And we kept watching Doctor Who proms on YouTube and loved it. So when they said, what composer would you like to write music for you? I went, yeah, Murray Gold, please. Um, thinking that's never going to happen. And he was based in America. And uh, somehow though, we managed to have a conversation and he, did say yes and he wrote the music and it was incredible and I've worked with him consistently ever since so that's a completely different experience because Murray writes the music after we've made the dance you know that's it, it he'll give me some musical ideas but it's not like I'm working to a CD anymore so it's a different thing and um move out of the way Murray Albie's in town now we don't well, need you here we go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, growing my own composer. Eh? Um, I, mean, I think over lockdown, I think it was really established through that with Albie was that we were making a lot more films, you know, Bally and Roll, that's what we did because we couldn't perform in, in theatres. And and then we, uh, I mean, Murray was kind enough to make actually one, one of the uh, music, one of the films with Animalia that we did, which was gorgeous. Um, but Albie would could quite quickly at home, we're working from home, could make some music for some other films. And in fact, I'm releasing today um, on, on International Women's Day um, a film called Fantasy, which Albie has made the music for. And that was his first experience of making the music in a recording studio. And that was great. And he was totally at home in that environment and very much doing what Murray does, was responding to picture, watching the film and then making the music. And he's grown up watching Murray do that. Yeah. And he has, over the last couple of years, just, um, he just found an ability to teach himself how to play and compose. So I'm not, I'm not a music boffin, but I know I like the sound. I think I like the sound and I, uh, he gets, he gets what I'm trying to say. And he is very much a, a cherished collaborator now. You know, I don't even see when I'm working with him. I don't really think of him as my boy. I think of him as an artist and I really enjoy what he, what he gives us. 
still very envious of him. Still very <laughs> envious of him. That's it. <laughs> I've got two more questions for you, Liv. Okay. Number one is what's next for you? Mm. Do you know what's next is coming back to Rapunzel, the very first work I made with Caroline and uh, Murray Gold. Um, it is, uh, when I was making it in 2012, as a family fairy tale, all the time I was making it, I was thinking, oh my God, this story, you know, the original grim fairy tale and the story of wanting to have a child and of stealing a child and of the, um, it was very dark and a woman wanting a child so badly that she wanted to steal Rampion from the witch's garden. It was about addiction and passion and desire in such extreme ways that were very adult and um and and it's about grief losing the child when she's stolen and I I, I thought I, I one day one day I want to do an adult version of this I want to do a um a version that that really plummets though that level of human primal desire and what people do to get their needs met yeah so we're reviving Rapunzel's the classic family fairy tale which will be performed in northern stage um in autumn this year um but also alongside that will be a later evening show of rapunzel after dark which will be the darker fairy tale so people who 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 love the the kind of gothic fairy tale world or slightly horror but have more, or, or who have loved ballet laurent's adult work in a different context uh, this will be our first adult fairy tale and so I'm really looking forward to to um, uh, making those two pieces that then exist over the same few days of uh, our time in the theatre and audiences can then choose. They're coming at a 6pm showing with their kids or they're coming at the 8.30pm after a glass of wine. So that's what we're looking forward to later. My final question for you Liv is who would you like to see on this podcast? Oh wow. What great question. Catelyn mm. Moran. Catelyn Moran. Catelyn Moran is on the list. Thank you very, very much indeed, Liv. <laughs> Please go and have a look at, is it the Ballet Laurent Facebook page? It'll have the uh, International Women's Day piece. Yeah, and our Instagram and our website. Yep. Fantastic. That's called Fantasy for, that was released on International Women's Day. Please, please, please go and have a look at that. I'll put the link in the description of the show below. Also, please have a look at Lost Happy Endings as well, which is coming up at the Theatre Royal. Uh, again, I'll put all the details in the link. Liv, thank you so much for coming on to the Cal Halbert podcast. Total pleasure. Thank you. The Cal Halbert podcast. And there we go, my friends. That was my chat and chinwag with Liv Laron. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did chatting with Liv. Please, please, please go and check out Ballet Laron's Facebook page and you'll be able to find that video on there. It's absolutely incredible. And uh, by the time that you've listened to this episode, uh, it will be the week of me being able to go and see uh, the Lost Happy Endings. And I can't wait. I'm going this Saturday. No doubt I'll put a tweet out. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please share it with all of your friends. That really helps the, the listens go up. And if you can, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you really want to, give us five stars. That really helps other people find our episodes and find our podcast. You can support the podcast in another way by going onto our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Calvert. And until next week, Goodbye.
The Cal Halbert Podcast. You've been listening to a Calvert Media production.